Rural hospitals need support from their state legislatures to operate in a way that not only allows them to best serve their communities, but to survive in an increasingly challenging environment. Fighting for critical funding is often an uphill battle, especially when that means supporting programs that are unpopular in their community or with their elected officials. So, how do rural hospitals ensure that their voice is heard and their critical needs are met at the state legislative level? With rooted relationships, mutual understanding, and a champion who is willing to stand up even when it means standing alone. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to Episode 80 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Director of Marketing and Development. So, Rachel, we talk a lot about policy here on Rural Health Rising mm-hmm. and uh, obviously including at the state level where, where you know, it starts locally and we've, mm-hmm. we've bantered around some local issues. And uh, then really some of the most direct impact as it reserves itself to the state legislature uh, into the types of work that's being done there and the outcomes from some of that legislation that impacts us negatively and sometimes even uh, positively. Uh, it just for us in the position we are as a rural hospital. Hospital, our eyes are always on the state legislature in what they are doing. So um, obviously, you know, these efforts that we're talking about today involving uh, the state's impact on rural health care, I think it's an important topic for us uh, as we focus on rural hospitals. That's right. And today we're talking with someone who has been directly involved in that effort, having supported and passed legislation that has been truly critical to the success of our hospital, as well as other hospitals around the state of Michigan. Absolutely, Rachel. Our guest today is my good friend, Senator Mike Shirky, Michigan State Senate Majority Leader. Uh, And we just want to welcome you to Rural Health Rising today. JJ, thank you. And and Rachel, thank you very much for inviting me into your very special studio here. We talked about this at lunch a little bit, but I really, really, really enjoy watching people who are passionate about what they do, what do what they do. Mm-hmm. And you two are great examples of that. So thank you for what you guys do and represent in this very special community. Well, thank you very much. Yes, thank you. That's a great way to start. It is, Can isn't we it? tell all of our guests to give us compliments if they could at do the beginning that. of the show? I didn't pay him, and I did not pay him. You promise? I, pr- I promise. Oh, you don't worry. You'll, you'll pay me sooner or later. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry. There is that. There is that. Well, to start, Senator Shirky, for those who uh, don't know you or don't know much about you, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work at the State House over the past 12 years? Yeah, I, I uh, never really expected to run for the legislature. Um, but I'm a very, very patriotic fellow. I mean, I just think that we are so blessed to live in a country like we live mm-hmm. with with all of its warts and all of its flaws. It still is amazing uh, what we get to experience here in America. And I was too young for Vietnam, uh, went and started my career, and then too old for everything else after Vietnam. And at <laughs> one point in time in my career, I thought, you know, things are going fairly well, and I'll knock on wood a little bit. And it's time for me to figure out a way to pay back. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I was always in, interested in politics. And I've discovered since then, and you guys have too, that if you're going to be in business, whether it's healthcare, manufacturing, whatever, uh, in, in Michigan or, frankly, in any other state, mm-hmm. you better be also involved in politics. You better. Right. You got to pay attention. You have to. Mm-hmm. Government is your partner, whether you like, like it, it or not. Or not. Right. That's right. And so I decided that uh, I would start considering to run for office. And for 19 years, I'd say to my wife, Sue, I'd say, you know, I'm thinking about running for office. And for 19, for 18 years, she said, no, you're not. Oh, wow. <laughs> no, Is that not. right? Yeah. And the 19th year, uh, I brought it up again. And she goes, 
Well, maybe. Oh, so wow. I stuck my foot in the door, you know, before right. the... Yep. Now, there's a tragedy associated with this. And so after she kind of gave a tepid green light, I was in a tree stand, deer hunting. It was uh, in 2009, I believe the year was, was the correct year. And uh, she called me and said, did you see what just happened in the news? I said, no. And Mike Simpson was a state representative at that time. And he was on a road trip back from Cleveland oh, yeah. and died suddenly. Yep, I remember So that. left oh, the seat unop- you know, open. Right, and so that. there'd be no incumbent. So that to me was like, okay, this is the time for to do that. And uh, Mike and I, by the way, he was a Democrat and I'm a rabid Republican, but we were very good friends. Mm-hmm. Because he was a very logical fellow, and we had a, we had a great relationship. So that kind of was the start of me running for office. And then our mutual friend Tim Wahlberg, Congressman Wahlberg, uh, was was and is remains a, right. a mentor of mine. Yeah, uh, same here. And uh, and so that kind of got the ball rolling in terms of uh, running for office. And and I had the pleasure of uh, of having put in place some very uh, skilled people in my private business and my. my and uh, they were been, have been able to run it for the last almost 13 years now mm-hmm. uh, without me being around. I'm not sure they'll let me back in the door. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> well find, they'll have to. We'll, we'll you got the out. keys. <laughs> we'll find out in January right, and see what they right. say. Well, I think it's been an important aspect to talk about is a small business owner, right? Mm-hmm. So when you're out on the trail and you're talking from either your leadership position or just in general, uh, you have experience in small business. And uh, you want to share a little bit about that experience? And, and you know, you've seen a lot of small businesses fail in Michigan, sure. too, yeah. especially because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little a bit about that experience? Yeah. So I'm an engineer by training. I went to, at that time, General Motors Institute. Today it's called Kettering University. And uh, I was sponsored by a General Motors division called AC Spark Plug back in, uh, in 1974. Wow. And, it's uh, a great at, year. It's the year I was born. <laughs> oh. And back then, and back then, AC, AC Spark Plug, uh, we made more different parts for more different cars than any other com- company in the world. Oh wow! Wow! And what's unique about that is that that uh, is that because because of that, every known production manufacturing process was under the roof of that facility. Really? So for five years, I did my internships there. It was a, it was mm-hmm. a co-op uh, education, Incredible. and when I finished. I had more experience than most people working in in, in full-time jobs for yeah. 10 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I stayed there for a while, but um, I got ants in my pants. The bureaucracy of General Moore is a very big company. Just mm-hmm. I didn't think it was going to be what I wanted to do. And so I had an opportunity to identify a product line and a product niche that I thought had some growth potential to it. And so with the blessing of my wife, we decided to leave the comfort of General Smothers <laughs> and, uh, and go out on our own. Not and, heard of that. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and we were living in Flint, Michigan, uh, for that 13 years while we we're going to school and, and post-school a little bit. Uh, and then moved back to where we're both from, uh, Jackson, Michigan area, mm-hmm. uh, to start the business. And since then, we've had a lot of, a very, a lot of success mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and uh, been very fortunate. But yes, the small. There's nothing like running uh, a small business. The day-to-day pressures, you know, things like having to sign both sides of a check. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, making payroll yeah. even when there's not a consistency of uh, of uh, income. And uh, it was a. It has been and continues to be a very steep learning curve. Now mm-hmm. I have uh, fr- family involved yeah. uh, with it, and and they're doing great. So. 
It's been a, and it, it was the, it was the, both my engineering background yeah. and the small business background, plus maybe with a 10 year stint in healthcare, provided yeah, for right. me a foundation for the legislature that was priceless. And unfortunately, some of my colleagues in the legislature just never had the opportunity yeah. to have that kind of foundation. So. Yeah, you're very mm-hmm. blessed. You know, so the next question that I'm going to ask is probably one that we're going to uh, have one of the best answers, I have the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike is uh, a passionate uh, man. I actually had a chance to meet him mm-hmm. a long time ago, mm-hmm. even before he even thought of, run- maybe he thought of running for office, I should say, <laughs> before his wife let him think about running for office, that uh, we met on a campaign trail of uh, our mutual friend, Tim Wahlberg. Uh, and I remember I was two rows behind him, sitting with Ken Kurtz and Diane uh, Kurtz. Uh, Ken was our state representative here uh, for a period of time. But anyway, um, this, you know, very well um, spoken, uh, very well dressed, and uh, very articulate uh, person stood up. Uh, and I had not met him prior to this. And then he belted out a song. And this guy can sing. All right. He's, he's a singer. He can sing. Really? He belted out an amazing song. Uh, that gave us all inspiration that day. And I say that with all sincerity. There's probably 30 or 40 of us there. And it was a it was a trying campaign. It was a very difficult campaign. We were getting attacks mm-hmm. uh, from left and right all, all, all down the aisle. Uh, and so that was very encouraging to me. And what I took away from that, because I later asked Wahlberg, who is that guy? You know, and he later shared with me who he was and really didn't have much interaction. I mean, we, we attended a couple of those root beer floats together of Wahlberg's and mm-hmm. uh, hosted a couple events together. But truly... Uh, what we've witnessed with Mike Shirky uh, is a man of remarkable faith. And I'm, and I'm being very, you know, take away his leadership role. I'll say this six years from now. Uh, remarkable character. And when you find a person who professes a faith but is strong mm-hmm. uh, and who can push back really hard mm-hmm. uh, but who maintains his faith through some of the most difficult and adversarial times— I would want no other guy than Mike Shirky leading us like he did through the pandemic. Mm-hmm. His wisdom, his challenge of what was considered wisdom uh, from other parties and other sides was instrumental. And so, Mike, I'm going to ask you a question because a lot of people want to know this. Um, we've heard about your background. We know where you were educated. We know where you've worked. Um, I want to know what is your why? What gets you up in the morning? What what defines Mike Shirky? Because I think if we can tap into a little bit of knowledge in that, we're going to know, all right, there's, there's a core here. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to ruin that. I want you to tell us, what is your why? What, what, what do you do what you do? So um, civics class, seventh grade, um, Mrs. Hall was going around the room asking each one of us to, what do you, you want to be or what do you want to do when you grow up? You know, and we'd go up and down the aisles, and I'm going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer, I want to be a nurse, da, 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 da. and it came to me. And I said, I want to get married and have kids. Is that right? And I just want to have a family, you know, and, and, and enjoy and appreciate and contribute to, mm-hmm. even back then, I just thought America was unbelievably special. Yeah. And I still feel like that today. I mean, I like, I love it. You haven't asked me yet, where do I live? Where do you live? Mike? Okay, thank you for asking, <laughs> JJ. Thank you for asking. Thanks, Ali. I live in the greatest country this world has ever seen, in one of the most magnificent states in that great nation, in the county that was the birthplace of the Republican Party, in a township called Liberty, on a street called Patriot Lane, and my address is 1776. Oh, wow. I did not realize all that. Yeah, that's right. And it's all true. 
Yeah. Uh, wow. And that's, that, that is a reflection of precisely how I feel. I mean, I just, there's, what gets me up in, uh, in the morning and empowers me is A, knowing that I got a family, that I got to nurture and encourage and support, but also a country that, you know, I never had to go to battlefield on, yeah. but I'm ready yeah. to do so. I'm ready to do yeah. so. And I've heard you speak, and you've actually been a frequent speaker at a lot of churches uh, mm-hmm. throughout the Tri-County area, actually. Um, I, I want to ask you a question. How does faith play a role in what you do every day for the job that you do? Can you explain that a little bit to us? Well, I can say to you, J.J., that if you didn't, if I didn't have faith, I think I'd have a nervous breakdown. Yeah. I mean, seriously. I mean, no. I, it, I know. If, if, if I didn't know that there was somebody else in control— and if I didn't know that I have all my sins and all my all my uh, uh, shortcomings have been taken care of, and if right. I didn't know that I could count on that promise, yeah. that I'm not sure I could do this job. Yeah. I'm not sure I could have done this yeah. job. And in, in this this last four years, starting with 2019 and in a brand new administration with a let's just say a, a unique governor, and then directly going into COVID and that experience, and I mean. Few have experienced, oh, absolutely, you know, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of uh, that kind right. of exchange, and and but for faith and a loving wife who has stronger faith than I, yeah, uh, it had been it had been a really tough road. Praying for you back home every day, amen. You know, so you could do the work mm-hmm. that you well. On behalf of Hillsdale County, uh, thank you for that service, and I, I know on behalf of the state of Michigan, as I travel the state, and Rachel and I certainly have. A lot of connections throughout the state as we're talking to other hospitals and other systems. Your name is well known, uh, and they're very appreciative. We're going to get into a couple of the things that have really been landmark that you've done, maybe even non-traditional to to the party line, uh, to create ways for hospitals to be sustainable in the future. But uh, we're going to get to that in just a minute. But but thank you for your commitment and your resolve. Thank you. So, Senator Shirky, we know that you've been an advocate for rural communities and rural hospitals in particular during your time in the state legislature, both as a representative and as a state senator. Um, So of all the things with that role that you could focus your time and energy on, because there's plenty, um, there's a lot that you can do in that role. What made rural issues and healthcare issues a priority for you? So one of the reasons or one of the things that attracts me to uh, government is I like I enjoy identifying, defining, and solving complex problems. Mm-hmm. And there's hardly an industry that is more complex than healthcare. You don't say. Yeah, you know? <laughs> say it again. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> and so uh, prior to my legislative experience, I mm-hmm. had the privilege of being invited to serve on the, at that time it was Foot Hospital, now it's Henry Ford sure. Allegiance, yeah. uh, on the board there. And that was a completely new experience with a very steep learning curve. In my second year, the chair, board chair, resigned. And there was nobody being groomed for the, uh, to replace. And this, this is a good example of that old joke, you know, where all the soldiers line up and somebody says, we need a volunteer. And everybody takes Falls a step back. backwards, <laughs> except the person thinking about what was the question again, <laughs> right? you know? And so I became uh, board chair only two years into my stint and then remained board chair for almost nine years. Mm-hmm. And in that time, uh, I, you know, not only were the problems complex, but the learning curve steep. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you if you enjoy life like I know the two of you do and I do, uh, there's nothing hardly more more fun than learning something new, mm-hmm. you know, and exploring right. new ideas. So uh, I spent nine, almost 10 years 
uh, in healthcare and at the board level, learning all of these crazy acronyms. And I thought to myself, well, shoot, if I'm going to go into in the legislature, I'm not going to let that all that learning experience go to waste. I'm going mm-hmm. to apply it. And so when I get, first got there, Jace Bolger was a Speaker of the House when I oh, yeah. was elected. And he said, uh, you know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I'd like to focus two things. I'd like to focus on health care, and I want to be your left tackle. Hmm. He goes, what do you mean? I says, I'll make sure you don't get blindsided, Jace. Wow. That'll be my job. Plus, I want to focus on health care. Uh, he'll he'll affirm that conversation if you <laughs> run into him. He he remembers it very very well. Yeah, yeah. And I had to act as a left tackle oh, a couple yeah. of times yeah. for mm-hmm. him. Yeah. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. but that's the that's the reason why you know I'm, I'm I have an affinity to healthcare and mm-hmm. frankly, none of us get out of this world without touching healthcare. That's right. Mm-hmm. Sometimes more Some more yeah. frequently than we would like. Right. You're right. Well, let's drill down a little bit into some of the legislation that you've been instrumental in and that have impacted it. Uh, hospitals, not just rural, but certainly all Michigan hospitals. So first, let's talk about the CRNA legislation. Mm-hmm. And obviously you were, and I'm going to say this again, instrumental. Uh, those are words that were spoken at MHA uh, by our leadership at MHA, by others around the state. When we say instrumental, he made it happen. And mm-hmm. and I and, and that is exactly what occurred in this particular issue. But, you know, we had been fighting for eight years, as you know, testimony after testimony, uh, and there was a lot of conversation about how should a CRNA practice. Um, so obviously, after an eight-year effort, uh, you got it across the finish line for us. Um, but I want to ask you a question. What was that legislation all about in your mind? You know, we know in, in our listeners in healthcare know what CRNAs do. We don't need to get into that. But in your mind, what was it all about? And I guess the, the real question is, why did you fight so hard for it? Sure. So healthcare, what I've discovered is that it's easy for people to get uh, their own sandboxes very firmly established, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then they don't want anybody else playing in their sandbox. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, it's kind of a protectionist thing, and it it's is. not, and it's natural, so it's not an evil thing. Right. Uh, but first, when somebody comes along and you know wants to challenge status quo, uh, you you know that there's going to be inertia. Uh, the second thing that that uh, that got my interest is that I think. The best we can do for healthcare long term is ensure that everybody can practice at their highest level of training. That's right. Mm-hmm. Maximum That's right. level of training. That's right. And there should be no contemplation of restricting what they've been trained to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And many Excellent. of the limitations that are have been established are artificial mm-hmm. or protecting somebody's sandbox. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you couple that with the fact that, you know, anesthesiologists, I mean, they're very important. Very. And very expensive. Very. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so it's hard for a, many rural hospitals to be able to afford to carry and have somebody of that nature uh, full time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, CNRAs are a very good example of how to fill that void mm-hmm. uh, without sacrifice of safety. And uh, and I've just in uh, during the time period in which I was learning about uh, what they were facing, um, I learned that they were very passionate about what they can do. I'm very proud of the work they can do. And again, to me, it's a shame to not let people do the work that they've been trained to do. Right. Right. And and we heard that testimony. Uh, You were very clear, uh, you know, in in making sure that that came out of committee uh, Mm -hmm. and it passed. And I will tell our listeners today, you know, you may not uh, understand the the complexities that Michigan went through in fighting this for eight years. You may be a state that already has uh, this practice uh, privilege, or you may be a state that really do not want it. But I'm going to tell you the impact for our hospital 
has been starting programs that generate revenue, such as our pain clinic. Mm -hmm. Uh, To the senator's point, to hire an anesthesiologist to come in uh, would be impossible for any profitability or any margin of profitability because we would have to pay it. Um, So practicing, which they can do very well independently, Mm -hmm. uh, they administer our anesthesia here at this hospital. Uh, And the law now allows them, which they have been doing for a while, um, just practicing under the name or the auspices or supervision of an anesthesiologist, but doing all the work. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And and we have been able to demonstrate here in the state of Michigan that the return on our investment is patient outcomes were not impacted negatively by this at Mm -hmm. all. And number two, the economies were positively impacted of small rural hospitals like ours who could not afford to go out and recruit anesthesiologists. So uh, that's the economic side of it, Rachel. And for the clinical side of it, patient outcomes, no difference. Mm -hmm. Not Mm -hmm. one, not one beat was missed uh, after this legislation passed in providing excellent patient care. Right. And if you want to really, you know, follow that thread, I think this legislation probably had an impact on the uh, long term long term sustainability of some of our or will of some of it our will. rural hospitals sure because will. if you can't hire an anesthesiologist, you can't do surgery. And if you can't do surgery, your, your rural hospital dumped. has no way to stay afloat. Absolutely. Because of our payer mix and, you know, all of the issues that we talk about. Correct. Um, and then, you know, when your hospital's closed, then there goes your community and your economy. So terrible spiral. Um, terrible right, spiral. right. So it's it's an access to care issue as well because it makes those specific procedures available in the community, but also sustains the, you know, healthcare organization as a whole mm-hmm. because of the service they provide being so critical Agree. to that. Precisely. Yeah. Um, now, also talking about access to care, uh, Medicaid expansion was a major issue for rural hospitals and healthcare providers in general across the country. Um, and JJ, I want to ask you, because you were here at Hillsdale Hospital when that debate was raging yeah. and the subsequent vote was happening. What do you remember about that time? How did it feel to be at a rural hospital not knowing whether Medicaid expansion would pass? Well, and you have to remember, so, you know, I started here, and uh, I'll just be very candid, uh, as a very conservative uh, Republican, you know, official from a county government who did not believe in the encroachment of government. Uh, And so I had to learn a quick lesson. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, access was needed in our community of poor individuals uh, who did not have health care. Right. Who needed to receive health care. And I, I, at first, when I heard that the legislation was being considered and discussed, truly thought it would not pass. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, we were hearing a tremendous amount of ground swelling that it wasn't going to happen. Not enough votes. You know, no one's going to. It's, you know, election year. No one's going to be pushing this forward. You know, they don't want to they don't want to increase the, you know, the burden on uh, individuals with Medicaid expansion, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And so at first we really anticipated that this would be shot down. Mm -hmm. And Um, how what was I mean, what were you thinking then? was going to happen and and what were you trying to prepare for the hospital, assuming that it wouldn't pass the hospital would close and and I'm not being dramatic in its entirety yeah the hospital eventually would close uh, because access to care uh, is going to happen two ways the the individuals are either going to be covered under an insurance plan mm-hmm. whether it's a government or a private or those individuals are coming into the hospital without any insurances And therefore, they will present at the emergency department, which will then cost us more of uncompensated care. 
Mm-hmm. So we knew that with the decrease of jobs, with the closure of some factories in Hillsdale, uh, that these individuals typically would then seek out either government payers or they would have no insurance. Mm-hmm. And we were starting to see a significant increase in non-insurance. In other words, uncovered. Mm-hmm. All right. They, were, they had no insurance. Uh, so these were individuals that we would need to take care of as a small non-for-profit hospital. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't kick someone out of your emergency department by virtue of law anyway under MTALA. Right. But second of all, we have a mission. We're mission-oriented. So it's difficult in a practice to say, well, you don't have the money. Right. So we were starting to see a lot of uncompensated care uh, that led to a reduction in our cash on hand, which if you were to follow that a long period of time would result in closure. Mm-hmm. And so I changed my tune quickly on the role of government as it relates to issues like this. Mm-hmm. You know, it is not the seven-year-old's fault that the factory closed right. and the parents had to seek government insurance, but it right. needed to be accessible to them. And so it needed to expand out of the categories in which it originally was created for. So from there, you changed your tune. You you had a new understanding of this. What happened next? So what happened next was something very remarkable. Uh, we were hearing at the time that it wasn't going to pass. But then we heard of a name uh, of, a, of a conservative who was actually promoting it who we were told in the inner circles was going to get the vote, which we thought never going to happen, Mm -hmm. never going to happen, never going to lead this initiative as a conservative of all things in a conservative state at the time uh, with a conservative legislature, not going to happen. Uh, And to the chagrin of many, uh, it happened. And to the surprise and delight of most, it happened mm-hmm. uh, because as a result of Senator Mike Shirky, which was the name that was introduced to us mm-hmm. uh, at the time, you know, uh, we just heard Representative Shirky. And at the time, uh, we were told that he would get the votes for us that we needed out of the legislature. Uh, and then what happened is the MHA caught wind of his support. Uh, and I believe there was a great relationship that was formed from, all right, here's here's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. You know, you spent 10 years in healthcare, Mike Shirky, but here's what we're facing today. And here's what this would mean to Michiganders right. if it could expand. And this is what the pickup would be for individuals who do not have health insurance, who could, in fact, their lives could be changed And how are their lives changed? Because they can seek medical care. Mm -hmm. Many people during this period before Medicaid expanded did not meet the criteria. And these individuals were not seeking treatment. Mm -hmm. They were passing up uh, their health care to buy groceries and to pay bills. And that's a true story. Mm -hmm. And so without support or help and the resources to do it, they were foregoing their medical needs. And then what was happening is that individuals that did that waited longer for their health care. They mm-hmm. came and they presented sicker. Right. Or up to a point where we could not take care of them any longer. We send them to a tertiary center where the costs mm-hmm. are 10 times right. 
what it would have cost to take care of the patient at the primary care level. Mm -hmm. So for all of those reasons, you know, we started to learn of this name and I'm like, I know that guy. Mm -hmm. He sang once around me. (laughs) We serve root beer floats together with Tim Wahlberg. I know that guy. And through a series of contacting his office, I don't even, I think there was a few times we talked about it personally, but really working, you know, with, with his staff and mm-hmm. uh, Mike giving them direction, um, th- something miraculously happened and Medicaid expanded in Michigan. And that, that was incredible. So with that knowledge, obviously, I know that the Medicaid vote was hard for you, Mike. That's putting it lightly. I know it is. That's putting it lightly. I know it is. So here's the story behind the story. Rachel, um, again, I've already spoken about Speaker Bolger, who I was serving right. with and under at that time, and uh, and I was I was dead set against expanding right. Medicaid mm-hmm. eligibility. And uh, Jace called me in his office one day. He says, "I got a favor to ask of you." I says, "Okay, what is it?" He says, "I need you to really study this, and then come back and give me a recommendation." Well, that's easy. I, I just said, I said, yeah, we're, gonna, yeah, we're just not going to pass it. it. She says, no, 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 no. I need you to study it. And then after you've done that, come back and, you know, give me your recommendation. I said, all right. You know, and I was kind of flipping about it because I knew the, the outcome was going to be. But I rolled my sleeves up and uh, did sure precisely did. which what he asked for. And the more I, I uh, learned and the more I investigated, it became abundantly clear that the best economic equation yes. included, this is not just economic equation for healthcare. No. Right. The best economic equation for Michigan, yeah. mm-hmm. for all businesses, was for us, because these folks who were being under or not served were never going to be let alone. I mean, they're, we were going to pay for it one way or the other. Right. And at that time, if you remember, and maybe I don't think it's the case as much today, but uh, Michigan was a net taxpayer mm-hmm. to the federal government. Mm-hmm. That's really one of the things I hung my head on I, mm-hmm. with my colleagues in the in legislature. I said, listen, this is an opportunity for us to get our tax money back and do right. it in a way yeah. in which we're really providing uh, a real service. Uh, and and so it it was, I still got those, I still got scars <laughs> on my arms that aren't Without fully healed. Without a doubt. No, <laughs> they aren't fully healed. I understand. Um, it was my favorite. I mean, I was, we'll talk about maybe a little bit later of uh, freedom, uh, labor freedom, right to work. But uh, it was my favorite floor speech uh, because this one was completely and totally from the heart. Mm-hmm. There was it was no politics involved yeah, in this floor yeah, speech, yeah. Mm-hmm. and um, I got <laughs> got a standing ovation from the Democratic side <laughs> and about a dozen of my colleagues on the Republican side. You know, uh, right. stood up and uh, in, in evil looks. <laughs> uh, so, but uh, it was the right thing to do then. It remains today the right thing yeah. to do, and mm-hmm. very few people would argue about that today. So how mm-hmm. far in the process did you realize, you know, again, you come into it with a little healthcare knowledge mm-hmm. as, as from the board level, but when did you realize, all right, this is good for Michigan? Was it after specific conversations with, you know, economic development, MHA, or was it— Yeah, I mean, was, was there it, like one or two data something points that, just, that really stood yeah. out? It's kind of like my journey of faith. There, there isn't a day okay. that when I happened, you know, where all of a sudden mm. I became oh, a believer. It was yeah. just, it was a kind of a, I'm an engineer. It's a process, process. for me, <laughs> okay. you know, and that's what this was. It was a process. Sure. I'll say though that the, if I, if I had to identify one specific item, it was this notion of, wait a minute, we can get much of our own tax money back into the state and mm-hmm. deploy it in a way that can be very useful, very helpful. Mm-hmm. And, and that really was my, and it was my primary point to be made in my caucus. 
Um, another story that is related to this is that, you know, Jace, uh, uh, with his help and a bunch of other colleagues, we were able to figure out we probably had enough votes in the House. But there was no interest in voting in the House unless we knew we had enough votes in, in the Senate. Senate. Mm-hmm. So now I want you to picture this. I'm a second year fresh, you know, basically a sophomore in the House of Representatives. And uh, we're working on something that's very complex like Medicaid expansion. We have a lot of emotions, a lot of hard, you know, people dug in on their positions. But I was pretty sure we had the votes in the House. It was going to be close. So I, so Jace knocks on the door and says, hey, I need you to go over to the Senate caucus, Republican caucus, and sell them because they don't have enough votes. Uh, oh, now, my gosh. Now, uh, you know, I, had, I, had gray, I had gray hair. But I was still a rookie, you know? Right, right. And uh, I don't get intimidated real easy, but uh, that, I, that was one of those days where I thought, oh, man, this, this, is, this is serious. Oh, that uh, would have to be. Yeah, it was fun. And so, you know, mutual friend of ours that uh, was, was uh, responsible for the studio yeah, that yeah, uh, we're yeah, sitting in here now, yeah, yeah. and a number of his colleagues were not happy that this uh, sophomore House member was walking into the, the uh, upper chamber Senate mm-hmm. caucus and making a pitch for expansion of Medicaid. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we stood there and we answered every single question. Uh, and the only questions that I couldn't prevail on were those that were, that were principles beyond the contemplation. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. government just shouldn't be doing that. I right. can't help you there. No. Uh, you know, health care is, is not a... Uh, free market-driven entity in the United States of America, sure. mostly because of the Mtala laws. It is, mm-hmm. yeah. and so mm-hmm. if you just if you would love, we all love to make our decisions through that filter of free markets, but not right. everything is a free market. Right. I agree right. with you. So you can't fairly apply it to an industry like healthcare because, like you said, of things like Mtala, and also we don't get to set our prices, so that's a big mm-hmm. makes a big difference too. You got the votes in the Senate, and uh, in part because you gave an impassionate plea to them as a scared, uh, you know, brand new almost uh, representative. And uh, there were some there were some moments of pushback for you. And and that has really, I think, defined your character because you moved right along and continued working. Uh, And it led to the fact that others recognize that and you're then appointed a leader. Uh, in 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 the Senate, and I think that's an incredible story because you know there you're championing something that's not popular, but you're known by your character, and and I can't stress it enough uh, to our listeners who may be listening outside of Michigan about the critical importance of having someone like a Mike Shirky uh, in the House or in the Senate working for you. It's mm-hmm. it's been incredible, and you've tackled a lot of other issues. You know, and I want to ask you this question. If you were to look at all the issues spanning your career, um, name one or two of those that you're, you, when you get ready to depart in two months, what do you just say? You know what? Well done, good and faithful servant. I feel really good about that. Mm-hmm. I know a couple you regret not being able to do, but right. I'm proud of those. But what, what, <laughs> what, we like our certificate of need, Senator. But what, what would you say is one of the things that, or two, you know, that you just go, okay. It's simple. It's only one. Okay. And it's very simple. And that is that when I ran for office, I, I was hell-bent on doing everything I could to make sure that to help Michigan become 
Uh, some call it right to work state. Mm -hmm. I call it labor freedom, where unions are as free mm -hmm. to make their case as workers are to make their choice. Mm -hmm. And that was the sales pitch. Right to work has is a is a very incendiary topic and a title and an mm -hmm. issue that mm -hmm. causes people to go to their go to their corners, you know, and start right. fighting. But when you frame it like this, okay, unions, you should have the opportunity to make your case, absolutely. And workers, you should have the opportunity to make your choice. And uh, that was the breakthrough. And uh, now, now, you know, I'm not going to take credit for becoming Michigan becoming a right to work labor freedom state. But the role I played, I believe, helped give my colleagues the confidence mm -hmm. to follow through with the vote. And I was the only legislator. This is before your time in Michigan, Rachel, so you wouldn't remember this. But uh, uh, the labor unions in across the state of Michigan were very riled up over this mm -hmm. because it was I Michigan. Michigan was, you know, this was ground zero for labor right, unions. Right, right. And by the way, I'm not anti-union. Just no. make it free. Make it, Correct. make it, you know. Right. I was the only legislator that went to union halls for about a year and a half and debated in union halls against union wow. members on He's a brave this topic. Guy. He's a brave guy. And uh, there were a few threatening time oh, periods yeah. Yeah. Uh, there. But that gave my colleagues confidence to know mm -hmm. that, well, if he can stand up and do that, and, and you know, and, and uh, I had many union people say, okay, so we see you're not crazy and you're not anti-union. You mm -hmm. just want... You're pro-freedom. I says, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so right to work, labor freedom, where unions are as free to make their case as workers are mm -hmm. to make their choice, is is the thing that I will forever be grateful that I had just a small part in. Yeah, incredible, incredible. Well, that work and other work that you've done, we cannot minimize it, but certainly has impacted uh, health care in general. So is there anything that you want to convey, you know, as you get ready to wrap up here? And again, if you don't, that's fine. We've covered a lot of the areas, but mm -hmm. is there anything you want to encouragement, whatever it is? Sure. Okay. So many of the people listening to this podcast are in one way or another related to healthcare. In mm -hmm. many in many cases, it's rural healthcare, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the beautiful things about America that you know, we we hold precious this notion of maintaining rural America as we all have envisioned it in our in their in our minds and read about it in our books and so forth. And, and we have the technology to be able to sustain both, both in urban and in rural healthcare. But healthcare, just like any other industry, is not immune to having to evolve, mm -hmm. not immune to having to reinvent yourself. Our tour that we took of your facility today, JJ and Rachel, it's a perfect example of how you guys have faced the the uh, hard made the hard decisions mm -hmm. and reinvented yourself over and over and over. And by the way, I got bad news for you. You're going to have to continue to oh, do yeah. that for right. the rest of your we career in healthcare, and that's my message to healthcare in general. Is that these, I, I made mention earlier about people creating sandboxes that they don't like anybody in. Mm -hmm. No, no, forget the sandboxes. Mm -hmm. We're all in this together. It's a great big right. sandbox, and uh, we 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 have to figure out how to continue to evolve to make sure that. We not only are prepared to serve the needs of the community, but we are also examples of mm -hmm. how they can best own their health and what they can do uh, to make sure that they minimize the need for health care. But at some point in time, we all are going to need uh, some help. Mm -hmm. I told you I'm going to have my second knee replaced here in yeah. a couple, three weeks. Yeah. So yeah. these things wear out. They do. You know, they these sure things do. wear out. But uh, it's a high privilege to serve and work in the healthcare community. Mm -hmm. across this nation, and uh, be proud of that, all of you who are listening, but also don't be afraid to reinvent yourself when the opportunities present themselves. 
Thank you so much for your time today, Senator Shirky, and we wish you the best on your journey. You have many years ahead of you. Uh, it's time for a little respite because you've worked hard and you've labored hard. So on behalf of healthcare, we thank you. Thank you very much. And before we close, we like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. So we want to know, Senator Mike Shirky, what is your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories from rural life? So I didn't grow up rural. I grew up in a suburban area, uh, but my, my, my heart was always rural. I'm a big, avid hunter and fisher and outdoorsman. Uh, my wife had no, none of those experiences or none of those interests. So we've moved back from Flint to Jackson to start the business, and I had this hankering to want to build a timber frame home, and I was only going to build a new home if it was going to be timber frame, and it was only going to be if it's in a very rural setting. And so we were we looked for like four years for for places to to uh, build a house, and uh, every time we showed, I found one that I was somewhat interested in. Sue would say, not going to do that <laughs> uh, for all a, a long list of reasons. But one day I'm, I'm out literally on a bicycle ride after work, just de-stressing myself. And I'm driving down this recognizable gravel road. I thought, when did I, when was I down this road? I remember it. I can, re, I can recall it. And I got to this uh, two track that went off the road and I took that two track back to a little lake called Grand Lake. And I remember then, when I was 16, I'd just got my driver's license, and my brother, little brother, was 15. We'd gone there to do rabbit hunting. Oh, wow. And as we left there that morning or that afternoon rabbit hunting, I pointed up to the top of the hill. It was this gorgeous view of the lake, and I said to my brother, Mark, I says, wouldn't it be awesome to build a house up there someday? I was 16. And um, so I— Wow. I, I drove— rode my bike back on this two track and there was a house that was built not on the hill that I wanted but right next door and so I just went over <laughs> this is half a mile off the main road I knocked on the door and I introduced myself to the guy that lived there and I says my name is Mike and uh, and I want to know do you happen to know if that hill is available for sale and he goes well you know it's funny you ask he says it was my wife's sister and her husband. They were going to build their retirement home, but he unfortunately died recently, and they're going to getting ready to sell it. No, no. Way. no. So I got on my bike, and I I don't think my wheels ever touched ground. <laughs> went home, wow. grabbed Sue, put her in the truck, brought her over. Now and we're walking, and we we park, and we have to walk up the top of this hill. Walk around the top of the hill. You can't see the lake because it's just all overgrown. Um, and that, this is after she's tugged, turned me down. I don't know eight or ten times yeah. of other different locations for building. Mm -hmm. And we got back in the truck, and I'm really excited, but I know that there's no way she's going to do it. just too remote. I'm about halfway home. I goes, so what do you think? She said, buy it. No. She never asked how much even. She just said, she just said, buy, buy it. it. Oh, my. So wow. That was, uh, That's an that incredible was my story. door opening to true rural wow. living. And, uh, and now this morning before I came here, I spent two hours out. Chopping wood. Is that right? Yeah, preparing oh, for the amazing. winter. That's amazing. Welcome to rural Michigan. Amen. All right. Amen. Next time on Rural Health Rising, we'll have another great conversation with another great guest, so be sure to tune in. And with that, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too. Your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising. And you can now find us on Twitter. I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. 
Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by J.J. Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.